Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Today's Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through to 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person such person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you're joining us for the first time today, we've been going through a series over the last number of weeks called The Blessing in the Blooming, and it's a journey through the letter to the Ephesians, and I really hope you've enjoyed the series so far. Today we're up to chapter 5, and we're going to look at the first 20 verses of chapter 5. But if we go back to the start of chapter 4, for those that have been following along in this series, I think today's verses are a continual unpacking of the statement Paul made in verse 1 of chapter 4. He said in verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so in chapter 5, he's now continuing to outline what a life worthy of the calling looks like. And to further define and clarify that, he uses in today's passage three key statements. He says that we are to walk in the way of love, we're to live in the light, and we're to be filled with the Spirit. And even though they're presented in that order, I think the first two are really dependent and only possible as a result of the third one. Walking in the way of love and living in the light are the result of a regenerated life that comes from the Spirit transforming us from the inside out to help us to become more like Jesus Christ. Adam last week shared on that from chapter 4 that we're no longer to be like the Gentiles, in other words, like the world around us, but we're to take off the old self and we're to put on the new self um, which is not being corrupted like the old self, but it's being created to be like God. Last week, Adam mentioned a story of him playing football and taking off his stuff at the end of a game, and it really reminded me of a situation in my own life, uh, particularly from working on the building site. We did a few jobs as a builder uh, in the Ashburton area, 
And in that region, the ground is not nice sandy soil. It's actually horrible kind of clay. And in summer, it goes rock hard and there's all cracks all the way through it. But in winter, it turns into this thick kind of slimy texture, which sticks to absolutely everything. And it just so happens that we seem to do all of our jobs in that region in the middle of winter. It's kind of like Murphy's Law. But in winter, the water would just sit on the surface. It would fill all the trenches that we dug and the stump holes, and the clay would stick to the bottom of your boots. So by the end of the day, you'd be six inches taller than you were at the start of the day. It was a horrible thing. I remember at one stage we had this bricklayer, and he was a really short guy. And one day he was working on this job, and the backyard was just absolutely flooded. And we'd had to dig all these really um, deep holes for retaining wall. And one day he was walking along and he couldn't see the holes and he just walked straight into one and he went in up to about his shoulders. And to his credit, he didn't crack it, he didn't yell or swear. He simply pulled himself out of the stump hole and he said, I'll see you tomorrow. And he drove home. Uh, the mud in those situations, it would just stick to you. Uh, when I got at the home at the end of the day um, from those particular jobs, I'd have to completely undress before I went inside the house. I'd have to take off my boots and my jacket uh, jumper, overalls, everything except my jocks because there was just too much mud. And that was just the start of the process. The clothes would then have to be cleaned and thankfully my wife would graciously do that for me. But then I'd have to get in the shower and, and clean myself from the top of my head all the way to the bottom of my feet. And I remember trying to get the mud out of the cracks on my hand and sort of digging under the fingernails and I'd be in the shower for about 20 minutes. And I used to love the feeling of getting out of the shower on those nights and getting into the PJs. It's like I'd taken off my old self literally and I'd put on the new. But in order to get to that satisfying moment, it took a heck of a lot of work. Unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians live their faith lives like a little bit like that, like they have to keep striving to make themselves clean. And I want to say today, it's impossible. The Bible says we all sin and we fall short of the glory of God and no matter how good we are, in our own strength, we cannot remove the sin that sticks to us like mud. We can scrub and we can strive, but we'll never be able to make ourselves clean. And yet Paul says in the passage last week that we can put off our old self and put on the new. How is that possible? Well, it's only possible through the person of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made on our behalf at the cross through his death and then through his resurrection from the grave. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Because in every other religion, you can only be right with God by doing the right amount of certain things. You have to kind of strive to earn a relationship with God through, I don't know, knocking on doors, through things like praying at certain times of the day, through doing lots of good deeds, or, or even through things like meditation. And if you do enough of that, and if you strive hard enough, and if you do it all just the right way, then you might be lucky enough to earn yourself a relationship with God. Well, I want to say this morning, if you're living that way as a Christian, you need to know that's the exact opposite of the Christian gospel. And so for many of us, we need to stop striving and start trusting. Stop striving and start trusting. You see, we don't have to strive hard or work hard in order to earn a relationship with God because Jesus did the work for us at the cross. He died in my place and in yours. He died for our sin. And when he rose from, the de from, from death, he conquered the power of death 
and the power of sin, and he brings us into new life. And so when the Holy Spirit draws us to him and we receive him as Lord of our lives, the Bible says we are a new creation in him. That is the good news of the gospel, that you and I can be forgiven, that we can be righteous, that we are made clean, that all the sin, all the shame, all the mistakes we've made are washed away because the consequence and the penalty of our sin no longer sticks to us because we've put off the old self and we've been made clean. This is what Paul is teaching in this incredible letter, this circular letter, Ephesians, that was designed to go to all the churches to remind them of the hope that they have in the gospel. And in the 20 verses we're looking at today, Paul summarizes this new life in the three statements I mentioned. The new person you've become in Christ, firstly, is to walk in the way of love. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. I think the big question that comes from that is, what is love? I think we can get all caught up on all sorts of issues and debates and pursuits. We can get distracted by the concerns of this life, the distractions of the world around us. But Jesus puts it really simply. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two things. And so what is the purpose of our lives? Well, the purpose is to love God and to love others. What's the mission of our church? It's to love God and it's to love others. What's the mark of a true disciple of Jesus? It's to love God and to love others. What are you and I called to do as Christians? We're called to walk in the way of love. Now, that all sounds very simple, but I think the problem is this, that love in our world is very hard to define. You see, I love God, but I also love Petey, our little hermit crab at home. I love crunchy peanut butter on my raisin toast, but I love my wife. I love my kids, and I love this new jumper. You see, I would hope and certainly believe that I, my love for God, my love for my wife, my love for my kids is greater than my love for our hermit crab or raisin toast or this jumper, no matter how nice this jumper is. But in the English language, we can use the same word to describe all those things. The word love is used to describe many different functions with, you know, varying degrees of meaningfulness. It's a word that is widely used. But love is not just a word that's widely used. It's also a concept that's presented to us in our world in a certain way. I want you to think about for a moment the show you're watching right now on Netflix. I mean, not right now. I hope you're not multitasking this morning, but you know what I mean? During the week when you watch Netflix, think about the show you're watching right now. If you don't have Netflix, maybe think of the last movie you saw. And I want you to think about that show or that movie and think about the way that that program presented love. As I think about the shows I've seen on Netflix or the movies coming out of Hollywood, I'd have to conclude that more often than not, love is presented to us in a superficial way. Now, when I say superficial, I mean it's a love based on circumstances and feelings. It's that kind of love that has to be so emotive that it makes you feel good all the time. You know, you, you, it's, it's about finding someone to complete me. It's about falling in love, but then people talk about just as easily falling out of love. And so I think if our idea is shaped by the culture we're immersed in, 
I think it will be a love that falls well short of the, the kind of love that Paul's describing. And so what does Paul mean when he says, walk in the way of love? Well, the Greek language that the New Testament was written in is certainly a lot more expressive than the English language we use. In Greek, they have many different words to describe different kinds of love. And so they have one word for brotherly love and another one for erotic love, another word for longstanding love. They even have a word for playful love. And so when Greeks speak about love, you know exactly what sort of love they're referring to. In this passage, the word used is the word agape, agape love. And when the word agape is used in the Bible, it refers to a pure, unconditional and self-sacrificial love that intentionally desires the best for others. Agape love is the highest form of love. And it's that way because it's a love that flows directly from God himself. When it says in the Bible that God is love, it is actually God is agape love. He demonstrates this kind of love towards us most powerfully seen at the cross. Let's go back to verse 1 of today's passage. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. And then it says, Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so when we consider Jesus' sacrifice, we see the love that he showed to us is a love that isn't given based on what's received in return. None of us had earned um, Jesus to die on the cross for us. We'd kind of rejected him. We were walking away from him. It's a love that lays down its own desires, its own needs, and its own wants. And it says, I'm going to honor others above myself. I think 1 Corinthians 13 gives us the most comprehensive and practical description of this agape love. And it's probably a passage that you know best from weddings. But I've got to say, it's so much more than just a wedding passage. Because it defines agape love, the love Paul says that we're to walk in. And so it's so important for us to understand it. And so you might want to think about this definition of love this morning and honestly reflect on whether this passage in 1 Corinthians would describe you. And so let's pick it up at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient. Is anyone feeling convicted already? (laughs) We're only up to the first thing. Love is patient. Is your love patient? Then it says, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. This kind of love never fails. As we turn the mirror on ourselves this morning and let this passage critique our lives, I think all of us would see areas where we can grow in love, not in a condemning way where we feel crushed, but in a sanctifying way so that we can receive afresh the unconditional love of God into our lives so that it can flow not just from God to us, but from us to one another. Jesus said in John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. He doesn't say a new suggestion I give you. He says a new command I give you. And then he says, as I have loved you, think about what Jesus did on the cross, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It starts to show us how critical it is to walk in the way of love. I wonder if you were to go to your social media today 
and look at the last 10 posts you put on your Facebook page. I wonder what someone looking at those posts would say about you. Would they say, here is a person who walks in the way of love? I think that's a challenging challenge for all of us. Because if we're going to be known for anything, may it be that we are a community of people who walk in the way of love. Secondly, Paul says that as a group of people who've put on the new self in Christ, we are to be people who live in the light. If I asked you what you were doing on Saturday night, June the 8th, 1996, I think some of you would say I wasn't even born. Others of you would say I have no idea. But I'll never forget what I was doing that night. I was at Waverley Park with 43,924 other people watching St Kilda versus Essendon. Uh, It was a really close game and we were in the last quarter with four minutes and 47 seconds left to go when all of a sudden the lights went out. The whole stadium went completely pitch black. It was plunged into darkness. Now, after the initial shock and waiting for an official announcement, eventually spectators got impatient and we all jumped over the fence and made our way out onto the ground. And at first, it was really quite civilised. People were kicking the footy around and getting hit in the head because it was a bit dark and all that sort of stuff. But in a very short time, it went from order to chaos. A group of people pulled the point post out of the ground. Others lit fires in the middle of the ground. Some got into fights. And I know what you're thinking. It doesn't sound like St Kilda supporters. And you'd be right. It was probably the Essendon supporters. We know what they're like. A big cheerio to all the Essendon supporters this morning. But what brought about this behaviour? Well, it was the darkness. And I think spiritually, really, it's no different. As Christians, we're not called to be people who walk in the darkness, but rather we're called to be people who walk in the light. Let's look at verse 3. It says, Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For all of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You see, what happened in the darkness at Waverley Park that night is a great analogy of what happens spiritually in the darkness of our hearts. It's chaos as we disobey God. Jesus in his earthly life talked about a broad road and a a narrow path. And of course, the broad road represents the darkness. The narrow path represents the light. Jesus sadly said that most people are taking the broad road, but it leads to death. And fewer people are taking that narrow path, but the narrow path is what leads to life. To walk in the light is to take the narrow path. Now, some of you may have read the Christian classic Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan in the year 1678. 
But it's a story of a guy called Christian, and it's all about his journey um, through his life of faith, through all the temptations and trials. And really, it's a great story of Christian faith and perseverance, because life isn't always easy when you walk in the light. There's one scene in the story that I've never forgotten. It's a story where Christian is walking down a certain path, but to get to his destination, the path really narrows in. And the problem is that on either side of the path, there are two ferocious lions and they are chained. And in order to get to his destination, Christian has got to stay on this narrow path. And as he goes on the narrow path, the lions are up on the chains and they're, you know, growling at him and they're trying to get at him. And as he walks through this narrow path, he can feel the breath and he can hear the roars right in his face. But as long as he keeps his eyes on the destination and stays on that narrow part of the path, they can't touch him. And I think this is really what Paul's saying. As children of the light, we need to stay in the light because the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. We know the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour, and it's when we step into the darkness that he can easily have his way. But who knows that it's not always easy to stay on the narrow path. You know, we all face temptations and, you know, that that kind of temptation to stray away from the light into the dark. And this is where the third point that Paul makes is so critical because he says it's so important that we be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we're going to walk in the way of love and we're going to live in the light, we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us of sin. And so when we wander off the narrow path, out of the light and into the darkness, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he brings conviction to our hearts. Sometimes we can feel really bad if we're convicted. There's this kind of, I guess, sense of shame and we think, well, it must be a bad thing. But I think the opposite's actually true. If you feel convicted on a regular basis, I actually think it's a really good thing. And I'd be more concerned if you never felt convicted. I think it's just evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. He said, when we wander off track and we feel convicted, the only appropriate response is repentance. Now, repentance is bringing what is in the dark back into the light. Repentance is not just saying sorry. It's actually doing a 180 degree turn where we turn away from the direction we're heading and we come back from the darkness into the light. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is conviction of sin. But another primary function of the Holy Spirit is to keep pointing us to Jesus In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus talking, he says, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, if Jesus shows us the ultimate life of love and he says, come follow me, then we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can keep pointing us back to the agape love that we see in Jesus' life and in his death. Walking in the way of love and living in the light are completely dependent on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we start to see how critical it is to be filled with the Spirit daily. I spent a decade in a Pentecostal church. 
And I'm grateful for so many things I experienced there. But one thing I noticed is that being filled with the Holy Spirit was most commonly seen as an event that happens, usually at an altar call after a service and usually accompanied by some sort of manifestation, maybe speaking in tongues or falling over or something like that. And I often heard people say, you know, I was spirit filled in 1973. And I remember thinking, well, it's probably about time that you're filled again, because it's not just something that happens once. And I think that's what Paul's saying in this passage. Greek scholars and Bible commentators point out that the Greek present imperative tense is used in this verse. In other words, Paul is encouraging a continuous replenishment and an ongoing process of being filled. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is less of an event and more of a daily necessity. Let me say that again. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is less about an event and more about a daily necessity. And so when do you need to be filled with the Spirit? Today, right now, tomorrow, the day after, every moment of every day, we need to be replenished and filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm fully convinced that the most fulfilling, purpose-filled, joy-inducing life we can ever live is a life following Jesus. If you've responded by faith to the grace of God shown to you in Christ, I want to encourage you today to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Put off the old self and put on the new by walking in the way of love as shown to us by Jesus, by living in the light and also by being filled with the Spirit. What a joy it is. What a privilege it is to follow Jesus in a life like that. If you're watching this today and you're not a Christian, If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, that he's encouraging you to take a step of faith and to put your trust in Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus wants a relationship with you and he wants a relationship with me. He loves you so much that he was willing to die in your place on the cross. He was willing to pay the price of your sin and of mine so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made new. What an incredible sacrifice that is. What a gift that he offers to all people who will receive that gift. I'm going to finish this morning by praying a prayer. And if you want to respond to Jesus today and experience his forgiveness and new life in him, you can pray this prayer together with me this morning. So let's bow our heads and we're going to do that now. God, we just thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place and offering new life through forgiveness of sin and relationship with you. I want to walk in the way of love. I need your help to live in the light. Help me to rest in the knowledge of who you are and all you've done for me. Today, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and I give my life to you. I put my hope and my trust in all of your promises. Lord, today, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to represent you in the world around me. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love you to let us know by responding in the chat. You can do that by raising your hand. Um, But even better than that, you can request prayer. And one of our hosts this morning would love to pray for you as you get started on this journey. If you're watching this live, you can do it that way um, and let us know about the decision you've made. But if you're not, you can let us know by sending us an email at admin at follow.church. And we'd love to hear your story about what God's doing in your life. 
Well, I hope you're really enjoying this series. We've got a couple more weeks to go in the Ephesians series. And I really hope that in this time of isolation, that God is taking you deeper, that you're growing in him, and that we're going to come out of this when we can gather together again, even stronger than we were when we first went in. Uh, God bless you. Have a great week. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.